Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Couch Potato Podcast. On today's program, I am joined by the first lady of the show, Jen, as her and I sit down to discuss the cult classic, The Big Lebowski. And for those of you that have listened to this show before, this is one of our old classic movie-centric episodes where we take the movie and break it down into categories and dish out our own special brand of awards, such as our favorite scene, our favorite line, who wins the movie, our favorite supporting performance, and more. And we've also added a couple of new categories to it, too, so we hope you guys and gals enjoy that. So, grab a white Russian, head on over to the couch, and as soon as this trailer's done, the Couch Potato Podcast presents to you The Big Lebowski. From the creators of Fargo. You're entering a world of pain. The story of a bowler who's way out of his league. I'm the dude. John Goodman. You're being very on dude. And Jeff Bridges. And they pee on my rug as the dude. It's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. The Big Lebowski. This month only on Showtime. To order, call 1-800-333-DISH. In the studio with us today is the first lady of the Couch Potato Podcast, Jen. Welcome back to the show. Good evening, everyone. It's good to be back. It's been a while. It's uh, since we've come back from the Christmas hiatus. You haven't been on the show yet. I know. I can't even remember the last time that I was actually on the show. It's been a good, what, four months, five months? Yeah, Somewhere a, in there. It's been a while. Uh, you usually, the ideas that you suggest usually be, or some of our most popular episodes. So I don't know why I don't have you on more often. Well, maybe you should change that. Well, uh, I did want to bring you on today. Uh, as we record this on March the 14th, uh, this is the 25th anniversary of one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, you enjoy the movie, but not nearly as big of a fan of it as I am. Uh, we're discussing The Big Lebowski today, which uh, I'm super excited about. Uh, this is going to be one of our old school movie episodes where we break down the movies into categories, give out awards, you know, the same old, same old that you uh, have grown to love from the Couch Potato Podcast. So uh, before we begin, when was the first time you've seen The Big Lebowski? When you and I started dating. Oh, wow. Really? You had never really? seen it before that? I had not. I didn't go to the theater to see it. I had never rented it from the video store, giving away my age there. Um, yeah. When I first started dating you, I think is when we sat down and we watched it. And you'd already seen it by, like, I don't know, a hundred times by that point. But it was with you. Had yep. you heard of it prior to? I don't think so. I don't think that I had, if I had... It was probably when I worked at Best Buy. I might have seen a DVD there or whatnot for it. But other than that, I I don't recall um, hearing of it prior to you and I getting together. Wow, no. really? That's, I know. Uh, Crazy. I know for me, uh, this was the follow-up to the Coen Brothers Fargo, which won Best Picture at the Oscars. It was kind of highly anticipated to see what, those guys were doing next. I know I was super excited to hear that they were doing this. But then when the trailers came out, I didn't know what to think of it. I was just kind of like, this movie kind of looks bad. So I never bothered to watch it when it came out in theaters. I waited. A friend of mine, Jeff, who I've mentioned on the show a time or two, uh, when you said video store, he brought over a videotape. 
and he said, "Dude, you got to watch this movie. This is this is a, a Russ movie." So I'm like, "All right, I give it a shot." And I thought it was decent, but I wasn't enamored with it. But then I watched it again, and then I started to appreciate it more. And then I'd seen it the third time, and then by the third time, like I was in love with it. So then I, like I said, it's probably in my top ten favorite movies of all time. So I've seen this movie probably a hundred times. I think I watched it twice before we decided to do this as an episode. And I started watching it with you, and then I fell asleep. <laughs> Seeing it so. shows it shows how much you think of it. No, it's not that. It's just not one of my all-time favorite movies. Do I enjoy it? If you're watching it, why sit down and watch it with you? Absolutely. Is it something that I would ever pick to choose on my own? Maybe not. I, I mean, I can't say that with a hundred percent certainty, but I'm not. I'm not sure. Well, what do you like about it? I mean, like, what's the appeal of the movie to you? Because it seems like from just from people that I know that love it and. Uh, just from what I read on the internet, it seems like it means a little something to everybody. So like, what is the draw to you? So what I really like about it, I think the dude is what a, a lot of us wish we could be. He just kind of meanders through life. He, he goes bowling. He lives in L.A. with no apparent job. He's obviously not starving. I mean, you look at him, he's not starving. He really just gives no shits. He kind of just rolls out of bed, puts on a robe, some shoes, or I think I want to say slipper slides. I don't know, something jellies. like that. Jellies. Jelly, is that what it is? Jelly sandals, yeah. Okay. And some, you know, some old baggy cargo shorts, and he just kind of lives his life, smoking pot, drinking here and there, bowling, hanging out with his friends. I mean, I think a lot of us wish we could maybe not have that carefree kind of life all the time, but that we could do thing. We could live a life like that more often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's what it is for me too, is uh, this movie is kind of like you put a bunch of different genres into a blender and you come out with this. It's like a stoner comedy. It's a mystery movie. Uh, A lot of uh, like you kind of read into it a little deeper. It's got a lot of, philosophical messages but i mean in the end the biggest appeal to me is the dude's the hero but he's not like the typical hero that you would come right. to expect out right. of like like a, a mystery movie he's not like the the suave handsome or grizzled detective he's kind of like i before i became an adult which i don't know if i still am if i i'm getting towards becoming an adult but you know, he, like you said, he doesn't have a job. He goes bowling. He smokes his weed. He drinks his white Russians. He just kind of lives his life by his rules. Right. And he's perfectly right. happy being a loser. Right, right. And he's okay with that. He's not stuck on having a fancy car or a nice house or, you know, I have to meet the right woman or whatever. It's just like. You said he gets up, he bowls, he smokes, drinks his white Russians, and he repeats the day. He's perfectly happy doing that. Right. And I don't even think he sees himself as a loser. Like he no, just, I just don't think he is either. He's just very... Um, carefree. Yeah, carefree. He's apathetic, maybe, in no, some ways. Or, he just seems like he, he doesn't live by the rules of society. He just kind of yeah. does his thing, and then that's it. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Um, now, I do consider this movie kind of a cult classic. Well, I don't consider kind of. It is a cult classic because it uh, was a box office bomb. Uh, I don't even think it turned a profit. But since its uh, release on home video, it has grown and grown and grown, and it's even spawned like a, its own festival, the Lebowski Fest. I heard about that. I was reading that earlier online. I had no idea. Yeah, I uh, I know the first one uh, was in Louisville, which is not too far from us. What, about three hours? And about something? three hours, yeah. Uh, and I know I wanted to attend, but I, for some reason, wasn't able to make that happen. Um, and I know you're a big cult classics fan. I know you are a fan of John Waters movies. And, mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, Office Rock, Space. Yeah, Rocky Horror Picture mm-hmm. Show. Heathers. Like yeah, um, mm-hmm. Would this movie make your Mount Rush, uh, Mount Rushmore of cult classic films? And the reason I ask you that is because you seem to gravitate more towards those type of movies than I do. So you probably mm-hmm. have a broader knowledge base of those than I would. So I would say if if I said yes, and I, I, honestly I can't say for a hundred percent certain because there's, I think they're you said top ten right? Mount Rushmore, which oh, would be okay. like. The four bet, like one of the four movies mm. synonymous with being a cult classic. No, it wouldn't make my top four. Really? What no. would your top four be just out of curiosity? Um, my top four would definitely be Office Space. I'm a huge, and I don't even know if you would consider this a cult classic, but I'm a huge fan of the movie Bartleby. Um, Howard the Duck is another cult classic that I love. That would likely be in my top four. I think that Howard the Duck, you telling me that you loved Howard the Duck, almost caused a uh, us to go to divorce court early on in our, our <laughs> Oh, marriage. when I was saying that it was the best movie ever made? You know, honestly, when I was a kid, for me, that was the best movie ever made. I owned the VHS of the, I think there's two, if I'm not mistaken. Two. Is, there, is there two Howard the Ducks? I thought oh, there God, were two. No. Oh, okay. I thought for some reason there was. Now, Anyhow, Howard the Duck appeared in the Guardians of the Galaxy. That's okay. That's what I'm thinking of. But I had the VHS, giving away my age again, of Howard the Duck, and I would watch it over and over and over. So those would be probably my top three. My four would either be Heather's. I'm a big fan of the movie Jawbreaker. Um, so probably one of those two. But I, I just can't say it would make my top four. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, what be what would be the definition of a like? What would your criteria be for judging like the Mount Rushmore of cult classics for you? Because like for me, I would have it as like for one thing, it's it's kind of ingrained into pop culture now. Like the Rocky Horror Picture Show would be on my right. Mount Rushmore because it's so celebrated during Halloween. People they do those uh, live readings and. Oh yeah, People, where they're shadow casting yeah, as the, the movie's casting. playing, yeah, and you th- and you get like the little goodie bag with the different things, and you throw things. Yeah, yeah. it's like a midnight movie. The Le- right. Lebow- Big Lebowski's on that list too, because it you know they've spawned, you know, their own festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some other stuff I'll get into when we get into uh, fun facts about the movie, and it's kind of ingrained in the pop culture, especially for like the last 25 years or so. I mean, it's insanely quotable. Well, I mean, for me, I like very kooky. Well, it sounds like from what you told me, you like very dark material, too. I I do. I love dark material. And, I mean, it's not that The Big Lebowski isn't dark material, per se, but 
not enough for me to put it in the top four. You know, when I even like um, a movie called Very Bad Things, which I consider a cult classic. I mean, it's very dark. Um, you know, Heather's is dark. Jawbreaker. And a lot of that has, you know, like, crimes that happen and things like that. And I'm a huge true crime aficionado, so maybe that's why I get drawn to more of the darker cult classics or darker comedies or however you want to say that. Um, but, I mean, even Office Space is, in a way, dark. I mean, the, the whole damn building burns down at the end. I mean, that's pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> you know, laying a bunch of people off is pretty dark and crappy. And um, <clears throat> so, I mean, maybe that's, like, the difference that the big Lebowski just isn't dark enough for me. I don't know. Like, uh, <laughs> it yeah. could be. No, so. I mean, I think you kind of answered your own question. Yeah, I, I don't think it's... You know, it it doesn't prey upon like the the morally corrupt part of society as as much as some of those other movies. Right, right. All right. Well, we'll get into uh, the categories now, which has always been a big uh, thing here. Uh, seems to be very popular. Uh, Tale of the tape. This was released on March the sixth, nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, like I said at the beginning of the show, twenty fifth anniversary. This stars Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi, John Turturro, David Huddleston, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Tara Reid, and Sam Elliott. Directed by the Coen Brothers. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 79% from critics and a 93% approval rating from audiences. Uh, grossed $46.7 million on a $15 million budget, uh, was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. And, of course, you can stream this on my favorite streaming service, The Cock. I knew you were going to have to throw that in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've changed up the names of these categories. Uh, as I do, I like to tinker around with some stuff. Uh, sometimes maybe not for the benefit of the show, but uh, since we kind of do sports, movies, wrestling, music, you know, just a little bit of everything, I kind of wanted to give this a sports feel a little bit since uh, such a big sports fan. So uh, the William Somerset Research Corner has been renamed the Scouting Report which uh, we're calling this the scouting report because these are some fun facts that you may or may not know about the movie. Now, there's tons of stuff that you can find on the Internet. I just kind of picked the ones that I thought to be very fascinating. IMDB's got a ton of them. You can just look up the Big Lebowski facts on Google and find a ton of stuff. But these are the ones that I found to be the most fascinating. Um, First off, I kind of knew this already, but I didn't know how in-depth it was, but uh, most of uh, the dude's clothing in this movie is actually clothing from Jeff Bridges' closet. Oh, really? Yeah. That's hilarious. The cardigan sweater, the jellies, the robe. The so that's shorts. stuff he wears, like, on the daily. Yeah. That's funny. Um, now, I, I did not know this, and I thought this was very cool. Uh, this movie spawned its own religion called Dudism. What? Yeah, it's called Dudism. Uh, the focus of this religion is to spread the philosophy and the lifestyle of the dude. Now, that's a religion I can get behind. Oh, yeah. 
Me too. Let's join. Now, if they, if that religion found a way for you to maintain like your house and your bills while bowling, smoking weed, and drinking white Russians all day, sign me up. Right, right. Don't think we'll enroll our kids into that yet, though. No, I think we'll hold off on that. Although I think I think the little one's ready for her first white Russian. I don't know. Maybe we'll try that out this weekend. No, I think she's good. Okay. <laughs> In 2020, they uh, released a spinoff movie based on uh, John Turturro's uh, Jesus Quintana character called The Jesus Rolls. Uh, this movie was a critical and box office bomb. It sounds like it would be, even just by the name itself. Was that directed by the Coen brothers as well? No, Coen brothers kind of gave their silent blessing to Totoro to do this, but mm, gotcha. they had no involvement in it at all. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, trailers for it didn't look to be that interesting. Uh, as big of a fan of the big Lebowski as I am, I seen the trailer for it, and I was like, nah, I'll pass. So it was in movie theaters? Well, it came out in 2020, so oh, it probably... Oh, it was one of the streaming at home type things? Yeah, I think it was slated okay. to get a release in theaters, mm-hmm. but I think with the pandemic and everything, they just kind of went you. straight to video, which is probably a good thing because whoever released that probably would have lost a shit ton of money. Right, right, right. Um, one of the things that we do like to uh, do in this uh, section of the show is uh, the casting possibilities. There wasn't a whole lot... Uh, because it's, I know from what I read, the Coens wrote the Walter and Donnie roles specifically for uh, John Goodman and Steve Buscemi. A um, couple that I did find fascinating is uh, Charlize Theron was uh, considered for the role of Bunny. Really? Yeah. I would have rather seen her than Tara Reid, but we can get into that later. Um, and then uh, the. Uh, the Coen brothers, if they were cast, they could have gotten anybody they want from what I had heard. If they could have cast anybody in this movie that they wanted to, they wanted to cast Marlon Brando as the the big Lebowski. What? Yeah. I can't even remotely see that working. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think David Huddleston was a pretty good choice. I think... Brando would have been too far out there. Yeah, Marlon Brando. Yeah, I can't see Marlon Brando at all. That's just very odd to me. Yeah. Um, According to Universal, this movie has made more money in the last five years. This is going up to 2019 uh, from what I read. It has made over $100 million in revenue from 2014 to 2019. That's more than the movie made its entire theatrical run. And what year did it come out again? This came out 25 years ago. This came out March 6, 1998. 1998, okay. So it made That's more crazy. money just selling DVDs, Blu-rays, renting it on like iTunes, Vudu, or whatever. It made more in five years than it did in its entire theatrical run. Well, I mean, I guess that just shows that it truly is a cult classic as, as seems like it has gotten more popular the older that it gets. Mm, yeah. So. Um, the last one that I have, uh, we kind of touched on this briefly. It did start its own festival called the Lebowski Fest. Uh, it's basically, it's a festival that celebrates everything about the movie. Started in 2002 in Louisville 
and it's been in such cities as New York, and it's even been in London. Uh, 2011, the Lebowski Fest in New York had Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Steve Buscemi, Julianne Moore, and John Turturro there. And oh, they did wow. a panel talking about the Do movie. Do they have this every year? They haven't done it since, two th- I think the last year they did it was 19. So oh, okay, I'm, which makes sense because of COVID. So Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I said, there's tons of stuff to look up if you're curious about some big Lebowski trivia, some fun facts about the movie. But I just thought those were kind of fascinating, especially the uh, the amount of money that this movie's made just in five years. Yeah, that is, you said it was a hundred million dollars just in the span of five years. That's that's as of 2019, so that was wow. four years ago. So. Wow, that's crazy. Um, the uh, I forget what we even call this. It's been a while since we did this, but the, oh, the I Drink Your Milkshake Award, we have changed that to the highlight reel. Uh, This is the scene in the movie that if you were showing someone this movie for the first time, this would be the movie that, the scene that you would use to sell this person on the movie. So I'm going to ask you first, uh, what is your favorite scene from The Big Lebowski? Scene or line? Scene. Um... I really like the beginning where and I and I can't quote it because I don't have it jotted down but I'll I'll fill in the blanks for you. Where where the the two guys come into the dude's apartment and they think that he's the senior big Lebow- or Mr. Lebowski and then Jeff Lebowski is explaining how he, who he is and he's like no I'm the dude I'm, or Yeah, I'm not Jeff Lebowski, man. I'm the dude. Right. And he's just trying to, and he's like the Duderino or Duder, and you know he just like gives like a plethora of different ways to say dude. And wait a minute, are you talking about like when they they pee on his rug or when because he, he does the the dude like the different variations of the dude when he's meeting the like the the older Lebowski. That's what I'm thinking. Okay, of. that's what I'm thinking of. His, yeah. So it's it's his meeting with the the big Lebowski. Yeah, because he's just sitting there like. You know, like he's he's confused why the the older Mr. Lebowski can't understand why he goes by the dude and he doesn't go by his given name of Jeff Lebowski. He's just the the dude is just so perplexed, like it should be obvious. Why doesn't he get it? You know, so that like interaction between the two of them I think is just hilarious. I think that's a generational thing. It's just like uh Older people don't get the generation after that comes That's after them. That's true. That's and true. It's like, yeah, the big, you know, the big Lebowski was a, a war veteran. He, at least at the time, presented himself to be a very hardworking man who earned right. all of his money, which we find out later. It's a complete fucking sham. But right, uh, yeah, uh, the thing I like about that scene, and I still. I kind of do this a little bit when I get super frustrated with something. I just kind of throw my hands up. I don't always blurt it out, but when uh, the dude throws his sunglasses on, he just goes, oh, fuck it. Yeah. I just love that delivery of that line. And to this, I don't always verbalize it, but I always say that in my head when I get frustrated. And it's like, I'm fucking done fighting this fight. It's like, right, it. right. Uh, I know for me, my favorite scene in the movie is the, uh, the over the line smoky. Where they're uh, they're playing uh, Donnie Walter and the dude are playing uh, Smokey's bowling team. 
Oh, and yes, Smokey's yes, yes, yes. foot goes over the line, and Walter says to mark that frame a zero because uh-huh. Smokey stepped over the line. Right, right. And they're trying to calm things down, like, hey, you know, it's not that big of a deal. You know, Smokey's this kind of laid-back, easygoing guy, and Walter just kind of slowly builds himself up mm-hmm. to where he's like, you know, it's it's a zero, it's a league game, you know, I want to play strictly by the rules. I'm not going to give you any leeway. Right. And then it starts escalating to the fact or to where Walter pulls out a gun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty iconic scene. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, we used to go bowling quite a bit. That was a big thing. Like, it's a league game, Smokey. Y'all would just quote the... Put that line from the movie. Yeah, I okay. just love the fact that like it's something as simple as like a bowling match, like a bowling. I don't know if they call like games games matches. I think they just call it a game. Yeah, I know it's I a think. game of bowling when you're playing one. I don't know what they call it in. I mean, you play in like, a league, league. I think you're just playing a, a, a game. Le- a league game. I guess. I think so. Yeah. Well, yeah, just it's something like as simple as a league game. <laughs> He's pulling out a fucking piece, and then like you know, the dude's like they're calling the cops, man. Yeah. Then the yeah, I I don't know. For me, there's so many great scenes in this. Like there's the uh, obviously the scene where Walter and Je- the dude go to deliver the money, mm-hmm. and Walter thinks it's a good idea to basically swap out a dummy case, and he packs his old underwear into a bag. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And then they totally fuck that up. Walter. Jumps out of the car with an Uzi. He drops the Uzi and it fires, damaging the dude's car. And so much good stuff. That for me, that's my favorite one. That's the one I always go back to. And yeah. like that would be the one that I would show people because that kind of gives you an idea of essentially the two main characters are uh, Walter and the dude. Right. And you right. kind of get an idea how both of them are just strictly off that scene. You know, the mm-hmm. dude's kind of a laid back. Stoner guy doesn't want any trouble, then Walter is not afraid to, like, escalate shit if it doesn't, you know, right. you don't think it's right. So Right. Yep. Um, I've changed the name of this one, uh, the favorite line. I've called this the, uh, have you ever seen Passenger 57? No. Okay. Passenger 57 is an old 90s action movie. Uh, Wesley Snipes is a... Uh, I guess it would be called an air marshal now. They're escorting okay. this very dangerous criminal. Okay. Through an airplane, the criminal manages to hijack the plane, and then, of course, it's up to Wesley Snipes to save the day. Of course it is. And Wesley Snipes kicks a dude out of an airplane, and before he does, he says this uh, line goes, always bet on black. Is that his name in the movie? No, his not his name at all, but I think it's since Wesley Snipes' character is an African-American. Oh, and he's okay. basically, it's him against, like, I think 10 other people. Uh-huh. And he's, like, always bet on black. Oh, okay. I see what I, you're I saying. I fucking love the line. It's one of my favorite, like, action movie lines of all yeah. time. So we're calling this the Wesley Snipes Always Bet on Black Award for the most awesome line in the movie. Okay. So what would be your favorite line of the movie? So I like this one a lot. Hell, I can get you a tow by 3 o'clock this afternoon with nail polish. And that's from Walter Sochak. Yeah. Am I pronouncing his name correctly? Uh, one Walter Sobchak. Sobchak? Yeah. Okay. It's just spelled differently than it's pronounced, right? Yeah. It's, okay. I think it's S-O-B-J. 
It's a S-O-B-C-H-A-K is what it said online. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. it was a J in there. So it's or pronounced soap, like... Soap. Soap oh, soap check. Yeah, okay, Walter soap check. Gotcha. Okay. So it's that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is another one that's uh, super uh, hard to pick, but... Uh, for me, I still use this in my daily, not daily, but I use it quite a bit. When it comes to anything, it's uh, the root of the rug. It really tied the room together. Yeah, I've heard you say that before. <laughs> Anytime there's like a carpet involved, I always say something like it really tied the room together. Or I've even used that outside of that. If like it involves anything in a house, like, oh, it really ties the room together. You probably have. Yeah, I, d- I don't recall the last That's how time, I communicate but... with humans is through movie lines. Oh, okay. I don't, know how, I don't know how to have a regular conversation with somebody. It's like I can't have deep, meaningful conversations. It's just me spouting off movie lines for 45 minutes. That's interesting. You're telling me this, and we've been married almost 13 years now. Okay. Fucking A, man. <laughs> Everything you've ever said to me is a movie line. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we communicate, yeah. Oh, okay. Some movies you probably obviously haven't seen. Yeah, That's You've never funny. heard me say the always bet on black? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have not. Um, we have kept this one uh, award the same, the McLovin Award for the most impactful supporting performance of the movie. Now, I think, well, obviously Jeff Bridges is disqualified. I think John Goodman's disqualified too because he's essentially in the movie almost as much as Jeff Bridges. Uh, I would probably say you almost got to discount Buscemi as well. Since he's in the movie quite a bit, so... I mean, you're just discounting everyone. <laughs> well, I mean, it's got a big cast. Right, right. Too, so, I get uh, it. I get it. Well, who would be your McLovin Award winner? Well, mine was Walter Sobchak, because even though he's in the movie the entire time, he's still essentially a supporting character because he's Jeff, he's the dude's best friend, and he's there, like, always backing him up. So, I mean, that's who I had. I had him as a supporting character, or rather my favorite supporting character, because he's a loyal friend. He's off kilter, which I really like about him. He's just kind of a wily kind of guy. You never know what he's going to say or do. Case in point, pulling out a gun at a bowling alley. Wait a minute, you've never done that before? No, I have not, nor would I ever. (laughs) No. Never say never. It it works for him. It works for him. Never say never. I mean, that's true. You don't know if that's ever going to... I, I would really hope not. Well, our kids got baseball this year. Yeah, that's true. Better bring, Mama better bring some heat. Yes, no, I'm good. Um, but he's he would be excellent, you know, if there was a fight, Sobchak could back him up. And he loves dogs. So um, I know he carries a pet carrier into the bowling alley at one point, and I think it has a terrier in it. I think it's his ex-wife's dog, and he's yeah, dog Cynthia. sitting. Yeah, yeah, Cynthia. So, I mean, it's got papers. Yeah, it's a, it's a show dog. Yeah, <laughs> I I like that about him. I mean, even though like he just seems like a crazy asshole, he obviously has a good side to him. I mean, if he likes dogs, then yeah, he can't be too awful. So. Well, you have uh, pointed out a flaw in this uh, category that I need to retool it a little bit. Well, you already said he was discounted, but I still stand by what I said. So, well, happy, so. happy wife, happy life. I guess. I hate that saying, but <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, you know. Uh, for me, my McLovin is uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Brant. Okay, he's he is good as well. 
Uh, I, I just like the way that he he seems to like he has different gears in this movie. Like I know when uh, the dude goes to the Big Lebowski's house for the first time, he seems like very nervous, almost like that kid, like that nerdy kid that his parents have left town for the weekend. He decides he wants to throw a party to be popular. And he's just kind of like making sure that no one breaks his parents' shit. Right, he's right. super nervous about the dude like being around the house. But mm-hmm. then later on, when they confront the dude in the limo, he's very stern and he's almost like kind of mimicking the, the big Lebowski's demeanor, like very stern and like, you know, they want answers from the dude about what's going on with the money. And then at the end, when Bunny shows up, when we all find out that she was never kidnapped, she was just, you know, she went to see friends. He kind of seems like that, and you and I both know this as well as anybody, that pissed-off parent that just keeps having to pick up after their kids because she's making yeah. a mess in the house. Yep, yep, yep. I just love how he shifts gears. Um, yes. I did want to give this to Sam Elliott, too, at one point, because I really think he's an awesome narrator, and I don't know if I've said it on this show. But I've always, if I won the lottery, one of the many stupid things I would do with that kind of money is I would pay Sam Elliott to record a voice, my voicemail message on my phone. He'd probably do it too. Yeah, I, I don't know. He might. I, Sam Elliott, if you listen to the show, please send me an email. Let me know that you would do that for, and let me know the price. I probably can't afford it, but. Yeah, I, I highly doubt we can afford that. <laughs> I wish he was on Cameo. I just pay for a Cameo. Just have oh, him. that would be cool. He's not, though. You've no, checked. He's, he's okay. Not, he's not on Cameo. Gotcha. I guess screw up the rules that way. Gotcha. But yeah, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman for me. But there's so many cool, like, supporting characters in this movie. The Brant, uh, even the, the dude's uh, uh, landlord, the one that does the, the dance recital. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I even like the cop when they find his car. Cops just giving him shit. I mean, I, that's a throwaway role, but I think that was hilarious in it too. But, yeah, it's got to be Brant. He seems like he's kind of like a weak, spineless minion of the – and plus Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, I can't think of anything he's bad in. It's true. He was an amazing actor. Mm-hmm. Uh New award, uh, we did call this, uh, I think we called this the uh, I Don't Like Sand, It's Coarse and Rough Award for the scene that you would get rid of, but uh, we changed it up a little bit. Uh, we called this the Welcome to Dumpsville Population U Award for the performer that you would recast. Uh, I know for me, I there's nobody I'd really recast in this movie. I think it's Pretty much cast perfectly. If I'm going to nitpick, maybe maybe put somebody else in besides Flea. Flea's one of the nihilists. Oh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. This is being kind of nitpicky. I mean, it's he has essentially the only line is when he says uh, they'll cut off your Johnson and then he gets hit in the balls with the bowling ball towards mm-hmm. the end. That's mm-hmm. his, pretty much his only lines of the movie. Right, right. Is there anybody you'd get rid of? I'd get rid of Tara Reed. Really? I can't stand Tara Reed. I... I her character is awful in the movie. Well, who would you recast in that outside of Charlie Theron? <sighs> Honestly, I have no idea. Anyone except Tara Reed. Really? Mm-hmm. That's... Yeah, anyone except Tara Reed. See, I think she fits perfectly into this. I mean, I maybe it's just that I hate the character of Bunny so much because she's like just a typical, 
she's very stereotypical of somebody who moves out to L.A., but instead of her trying, well, I guess per se she did try to strike it rich or however you, or make a name for herself because she was a porn star. But she just fits that stereotype of this dumb blonde who moves out to Hollywood to try to make it big but doesn't quite make it, so she lands herself a rich old man. Like, it's just like that. I think when people think of people from, like, where we live or, like, the Midwest or South or however you want to say that to move to Hollywood and trying to make it big, that's just ultimately what they think of, and that's not always the case. And I hate that they once again played into that stereotype. So maybe it's more so her character itself and not so much Tara Reid, or maybe it's just a combination of the two. I'm not entirely sure. I, don't know, I think Tara Reid's kind of gotten a raw deal throughout the years. I mean, I, she kind of had that party reputation. Right. I, kinda, I mean, I never. no one's ever going to confuse Tara Reid for being Meryl Streep or Glenn oh, Close abso- or anybody no, like that. No, absolutely not. But, I mean, she wasn't, like, the worst actress I've ever seen. Right. But, but she certainly is not the best either. No, and I mean, I think she she fit well for what she was paid to do. She was essentially, you know, she's kind of the naive, I forget, were they from Minnesota or were they? I think from, she was from Minnesota. I think yeah, you're right, yeah. The, the Knutsons. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. But I, I don't know if, yeah, that was from Minnesota. I'm probably going to get skewered when I fuck that up. But, yeah, just the, the Midwestern girl that can't make it in L.A., so she ends up using the best asset that she has, and she ends up right. marrying right. the rich old guy. I think it's perfect. I, I I think she fits it perfectly. I think she's awesome in that. Plus, she owes money all over town to known, known pornographers. I know. That's true. She does. So she has Jackie, to do she something, owns Jackie I guess. Treehorn money. Yeah. Which did you know? That is Ben Gazzara, who played Brad Wesley in Roadhouse. He played who? He played Brad Wesley in Roadhouse. Oh, the guy that brought J.C. Penney's to town? God damn, I, I love you for that. I love you, too. I, that is fact, him, though, correct? Yeah, he brought... Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, he brought the, the, the J.C. Penney. Yeah. I love that you just threw that out there. That's fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I set them up, you knock them down. I, hey, I, I pay attention sometimes. You just um, never know. Um, we did keep the unsolved mysteries of the movie. I have mm-hmm. a couple, but uh, do you have anything that, like, after the movie takes place, you're kind of left wondering what happens? Or Yeah, I had one. So my question has always been, how did the dude afford an apartment in L.A. with no roommate? I mean, granted, it was a really shitty apartment, but... At the beginning of the movie, he writes a check for 69 cents for half and half at a supermarket. So if he's writing a check for 69 cents, is his landlord just like really nice and kind and just kind of lets well, him pay? Well, he is pay? very nice because he okay. kind of like, hey, you know, it's the, he basically tells him like the rent's like two weeks overdue. Uh, well, it's, it's to me though, if he doesn't have a job, how does he pay the rent? I mean, he had to have paid it the previous month. So, I, I don't know. That's just something I wonder about. Like, maybe he sells pot on the side. Maybe he enters bowling tournaments where there's, like, a cash prize. Maybe he does odd jobs. It's just curious to me how he has an apartment in L.A. Well, one of the things that uh, I did do a little research on, and while you were saying that, I was looking it up. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the early drafts of the movie is 
he apparently was related to the inventor of the Rubik's Cube, and he was left money. Was that thrown out? Yeah, it was thrown uh, okay, out, so they don't really say. say. But, uh, That's awful. He's basically living off of his inheritance from that. Okay, okay. Interesting. So, yeah, outside of that, though, I mean, like, I'm looking it up here, like, no one really... There's not any, like... There's not a concrete answer. Got you. I say he does odd jobs, then. He probably smells a little bit of ganja on the side. He probably enters bowling tournaments, gets cash prizes if he wins. <clears throat> or, you know, he does eventually become uh, the second in command at Stark Industries, too. That might be possible. So maybe he's living off that Stark Industries money before that. They, that could be true. Maybe the dude, the whole cover... Is a cover for Obadiah Stain. Mm, maybe it is. But yeah, that's like uh, from the early research of the movie. He was apparently like the heir to the Rubik's Cube fortune, that's which I did, I did not know that there was such that a thing. That is so odd. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that I had, and uh, uh, the second one I had is uh, does. I know she she tells him that she doesn't want she wants a father that wants nothing to do with the baby. But I wonder, right. if, I wonder if like you know he ever becomes a part of that child's life or. Well, does she get pregnant? Well, that's the whole point of her hooking up with him. Well, still. I know, but they never really say well, if she gets pregnant or not. Yeah, maybe they have to have multiple encounters before that actually happens. But yeah, that's kind of another thing that you're left to wonder. Does she actually get pregnant from that? Because they never say, I'm guessing that it probably does because the whole point of him going to that doctor. Oh, I know. He was a good man and thorough. Yeah. They're checking his sperm counts and different things, making sure he's healthy. I get that. So yeah, the dude must, uh, when he shoots, he scores. I guess so. Yeah. But yeah, I just kind of wondered like, does he have any involvement with the child's life or, does Maude give him money for being like? She might. I could, I could answer the question of how does he live. It's like Maude eventually like, this is this is my baby daddy, so I'm gonna cut him a check each month. Mm, I mean, maybe. Um, couple more questions before we uh, wrap this bad boy up. Who wins the movie for you? I mean, the dude. That's an obvious choice. I th- I think um, you wouldn't have the Big Lebowski without the Big Lebowski. Well, he's not really the big one. Well, that's he's, true. I I'm mean, the dude, with man. The, without the dude, I mean, you're not going to have a movie without him. So, I mean, it's obviously going to be him for yeah. me. I wanted to give it to the Bridges. I think when I when I think of this movie and the the scenes that make me laugh, most of the lines that make me laugh are coming from John Goodman. Mm, I can see that. And I mean, look the, at my favorite line. Yeah. He, <laughs> You said earlier that uh, Walter Sobchak is just such a wild card and an odd Right, ball. right. I mean, he's divorced from his wife, but yet he's still practicing Judaism. Right. And he's not, was that Shabbos? I think the, so. The Jewish mm-hmm. day. Yeah, he's, he won't come out for that, even though he doesn't have to practice it anymore. Mm-hmm. He carries a firearm to... A bowling alley. <laughs> yeah. I, even, like, the scene where he's... They, uh, Go to Larry Sellers' house. Mm-hmm. He ends up beating the shit out of that Corvette. Yep, yep. Oh, he destroys that beautiful car. It makes me so sad. See, so, yeah, I'm going to give it to him, John Goodman, just because I, I mean, yeah, this is Jeff Bridges' movie for sure. 
Right. And he's the guy that like, you know, makes everything else work. And he's like kind of like the engine that drives the car. But right. And Walter is such a, such a captivating character. Now I wish that if they were going to spin off a character, they would have done it for his character because for sure. you don't really get to know a lot about Walter outside. He likes bowling. He has a very short temper and he apparently runs a security company. Yeah, they don't really go a whole lot into that, though. I would be more curious to get his backstory to see what he does mm-hmm. or, like, even what happens or how he was in, like, Vietnam or, you know, what happens when him and the dude meet. Mm-hmm. I'd be fascinated to see that. Mm-hmm. He's, like, the one character out of this movie that, like, I would be I would be there day one to see the Walter Sobchak movie, which they would probably turn into like a Netflix or a Hulu show now. Right, right. That's what I would foresee happening as well. Um, the last category that we have, brand new. I thought this was a really cool category. When we do these movie episodes from time to time, this one's sticking around for sure. Would this movie, if you had a movie Hall of Fame, like you built this movie Hall of Fame, and you could put anything you want into it. Would this movie make your movie Hall of Fame? And let's say this category could still use some tinkering, but this is the test run. Is this like an unlimited amount of movies that I can put into yeah, said Hall of Fame? Yeah, just look at it like uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of yeah, Fame. Yeah, I mean, like if, if, if I don't have to pick like, oh, it's in my top ten or something like that, because like I said earlier, it's not in my top four cult classics. No way. If there were were like an infinite infinite rather amount of movies that I could put in a Hall of Fame. Yeah, this would be in it for sure. What would be your criteria for putting it in? What do you mean? Well, like would would it be like a blockbuster would it be like a cult classic would it be It would be a, a cult classic. Know, pop cultural like genre wise, it would be a cult classic yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yep. that, that, it, this is a surefire Hall of Famer for me. First ballot I figured I see, it would I be. I see the big Lebowski on the ballot. I'm, I'm right. putting him in there. Uh, it would definitely go in the cult classics wing. Also, just cultural significance. I mean, if you're getting put into the National Film Registry, that's it's a pretty significant movie if it's you know selected to be preserved by them. Right. They, they don't they, they do, preserve the original film and keep it yeah, in a vault or yeah, something? Basically, it's like this will always... like. Nothing will ever happen to this. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be there. Right, And right. they don't do that for everything. I like know. I remember you mentioning that once. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like Jaws, Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like lo- like culturally significant movies go right, into that. Right. So, yeah. Makes sense. It makes that. It makes my Hall of Fame. Got it. Okay. Um, Before we wrap it up, anything you want to add? No, I enjoyed doing this with you, and I hope we can do it again soon. Well, I I think we can arrange that. Okay. Well, you know where to find me. Yep. Just in the next room over. That's right. Um, I know for me, just I had been circling this for a while. Then when I came back, I I wanted to do it last week, but uh, things happened and wasn't able to make it work that week. So doing it today, uh, like I said, this is one of my top ten all-time favorite movies. I absolutely adore this movie. I think I watch it at least once a year. You watch it like I watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, top 10 all time. Absolutely adore this movie. Uh, I am very grateful that uh, 
my friend Jeff brought the VHS over for me to see because I this would have been one of those movies I may have not bothered to watch. And I mm-hmm. love Jeff Bridges; he's one of my all-time favorite actors. But like, I would have never given this movie a second thought if he just didn't bring this over and say, "Hey, this is your movie." So right, right, Jeff, if you listen to this, thank you, appreciate it, and. With that, I think we're going to wrap this up. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Send us an email, couchbrotatopodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, concerns, complaints about the show, let us know. We want to hear them. Uh, We will be back. Actually, we're doing a second movie episode this week. Uh, Doing a watch-along of Billy Madison with... uh, the Brotato Top, uh, our son is going to be watching Billy Madison with us. We're going to do a watch along of that, so that ought to be fun. So until later this week, we will talk to you guys later. Bye.